This will be the final episode of the fall podcast season for the Gaucho 9 podcast, and we are brought to you, as always, by our great sponsors from Kyle's Kitchen. They are in Goleta, in Hollister Village, and on Kyrial, and they are downtown on Chapala Street. Head on in and see Kyle. Grab a burger, some fries, and adult beverage. And if you see Kyle, give him a big hug for us. This episode also brought to you by SB Baseball Data, the UCSB Baseball Analytics Department. They are our guests for this podcast. Spencer Stewart, Sean Isaac, and Maxine Wang. They are pulling uh, the majority of the work for the analytics department. They have a team of great interns doing all this data analysis for the pitching and the hitting and all of the numbers that go into running a collegiate baseball program at this level. And they are fantastic. So check them out on Twitter. That's at SB Baseball Data for all of your gaucho analytics needs. All right. Yeah, so that those are our guests. This is the, the final pod of this fall. So we do a little recap and we get into some nitty gritty of the analysis portion, particularly the uh, the X Y scatter plot of the uh, of what TrackMan spits out as far as the data points go. Um, do some some hitting analysis for some stuff in the fall, exit velos, uh, whiff rates, and working on uh, pitch recognition. So those are some of the things that the Gauchos are working on this fall. So we've got Spencer Stewart, Sean Isaac, and first time guest Maxine Wang on the pod today, and uh, here they are. Let's do this. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. There's the one-strike pitch, and Mitchell bounces the deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. He's at the track, he's at the wall, he leaps at the wall, and this one is out of here. Christian Kirtley. Gauchos are going to Omaha, can you believe it? John Newman. Wins it for the Gauchos. In the score is two. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. And the Gauchos are the 2019 champions of the Midwest. All right, on today's episode of the Gaucho 9 podcast, we have UCSB Analytics. Spencer Stewart is here. Sean Isaac is here. And a first-time podcast guest, Maxine Wang. So we will introduce Maxine here in a moment, but I want to check in with Spencer and Sean first. How was the fall overall? You guys, are you guys busy digging into your data or are you finished with all your work? Like, how's it going, Stu? How's it going? The, uh, the work never stops, Kevin. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, just like every fall, it just, it came and flew by. That's kind of, that's just the way it goes when you're having as much fun as we have all of a sudden it's, it's the end of fall and you're looking towards the holidays and preparing for January. So, um, I think this fall was, was a ton of fun being back in full force. You know, when we're comparing it to, to last year's fall, it, uh, it seemed like the production that we were getting with our players and the amount of work that they were able to get after, uh, each day was, was awesome. It was a ton of fun. Um, and uh, I think we're all, I can speak for all of us. We're really, really looking forward to uh, to what January is going to bring. I agree. January is always an exciting month in college baseball because you come back from Christmas break and, oh, we have one month and then the season starts and this goes lickety split. 
and Sean Isaac, you were, it was your first Gaucho fall experience. How did it go for you overall? Um, you know, first two weeks I was really getting my feet wet and really, uh, trying to wrap my head around what's going to be the day-to-day operation, uh, for us. But I'd say after those two weeks, everything went pretty smooth. Um, pretty much had a a grasp on the schedule and knew, you know, we're going to have probably three to four days of bullpen work where we can mix in, uh, some pitch design work, um, some execution stuff with guys on the mound. Um, and then eventually it led to the scrimmages, which was the fun part, um, seeing all the work that led up to that and um, seeing the guys compete on the field. And um, I think the fall was a great success for a lot of these guys. And, um, you know, looking forward to seeing these guys compete in the spring. Did you master the bullpen setup by the time you were finished with fall? I like to think I did. Um, you know, I, I got it down to an exact science where I basically needed just 15 minutes to get everything set up. By the time a pitcher is ready to roll, uh, we're conserving battery out there on the Rapsodo unit at all times. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, it was, it's weird now with everybody gone. It's, you know, you go down in the bullpen over there to, you know, use the weight room and everything and it's just quiet and there's nobody there. But, um, you know, it was a really successful fall and had a lot of fun. All right, Maxine, first time on the podcast, but. This isn't your first year as a member of the Gaucho staff or the uh, the intern staff. You interned last year, is that right? And the year yes. before? Yes. So, so technically third year. Yep. And you had a chance to work with Evan Short over the summer, who's kind of the, he's like the founding father of UCSB analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you got to work with the Blue Jays. So before we dive into some of the stuff you're doing now, uh, how did you get hooked up with the Blue Jays gig and uh, where were you this past summer? Yeah, so yeah, I'm a fourth year now student at UCSB. I honestly just applied to like random things everywhere, like anything I saw that was like baseball related. I was like, cool, I'm just going to put my name in the hat for that. For the Blue Jays specifically, Tony Ortiz, um, like last year, um, analytics manager, gave me an email that was just like their jobs resume email. So I sent my resume in there and um, I never heard back. And then the assistant director of baseball operations texted me one night and was like, Hey, I think that like my email went to spam. So like, do you want an interview? And I was like, hell yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it's crazy. Um, Yeah. So I did, I think like an interview with about like 13 people there were four rounds um and yeah and then I ended up with an internship with them over the summer with their front office R&D team and they wanted me to have like an in-person element and because of COVID and like going to Toronto wasn't an option so they sent me to their player development complex in Florida um so that was super cool I got to like see the complex league every day I did track ran there for a couple of games um but yeah I was mostly working on my actual projects with the front office but physically in Florida so it was really really cool wow that's rad so did you get to work with some of the big league players at all when they were there yeah so the players that are there are people who are rehabbing and then also the complex league players 
So the complex league players are like 15 year olds from like the Dominican and like yeah, Latin minor America. Yeah. yeah. And then there's some big leaguers like Nate Pearson. I saw because he was there for like a groin injury for most of my time there. Um, so I saw him pitch a couple of times. Julian Merriweather also ended up in the bullpen towards the end of the season. Um, we talked a couple of times. He's like a super nice guy. Um, I like threw nine hole with him and it was really embarrassing because I hit the batter and he was like, Maxine, did you do that on purpose? That's so, <laughs> it's like, no, I'm sorry. I feel pressure. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got, so saw some big leaguers that were rehabbing there while they were there. And then it was kind of trippy to see them like playing in Toronto, like the next night on TV. And I was like, wait, I just saw you in Florida like yesterday. <laughs> it's wild. The, yeah. the travel responsibilities that, that some of these guys have. 100% wild. Well, and, and the big league team was playing in the, uh, were they playing it? Is it Dunedin or Dunedin? Dunedin. <laughs> Dunedin. A third time I was, I was getting there. So yeah, I had a, a friend of mine, uh, Marcus, he was playing with, with the Blue Jays the, last year and, oh, and cool. did, really, did really well. Uh, Marcus Simeon. So I was following them playing at the minor. Oh my Club. God. Yeah, right. I thought you were talking about some random guy named Marcus. <laughs> like, low ass. <laughs> that one's coming. <laughs> nope. You know, he finished third in MVP voting. No big deal. He signed a big contract with the Rangers, which is pretty cool. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, well, so you've, you've been in baseball or interested in baseball for quite a while. And, and you talk like you study baseball and live baseball. So, like, <laughs> when did your your interest in the game first kind of blossom? Sophomore year, um, after my freshman year during the summer, my dad bought a rap soda, which everybody like laughs at and is like crazy <laughs> because he, he is one of those people who, if he's interested in it, he'll just go all the way. So that was one thing. He's like reading all these articles about baseball analytics and decided to just buy a rap soda. And so I had that in my house and I was like why don't I just like lay this down at different high schools and like see what I can do with the data because I've always been a data science major um and so I did that and played around with the data I tried to like hone some of my coding skills and then I just reached out to Tony at perfect timing before he reached out to the rest of the statistics department and had an interview and he hired me and I was extremely underqualified and <laughs> didn't know anything about statistics or baseball um, and he kind of just took me under his wing and like taught me like basically my entire foundation of like coding statistics and like baseball. And then, I mean, I've learned a lot more this summer specifically about like baseball and just like watching it a lot more has been really educational and sitting next to Sean every day and like hearing him talk about it. Like it's all just a learning process for me. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. So you're, you're telling me you're educated in baseball by a Yankees fan. I guess so. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I didn't know where I was headed at that point though. If you had told me that I was going to work for the Blue Jays when I had met Tony, I would have been like, you're crazy. <laughs> well, it's, it sounds like it's been a whirlwind journey to this point and, it, and it's happened fast and it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's exciting. And you're, you're bringing a lot of energy to this podcast. I hope Spencer and Sean can keep up. <laughs> so good luck, gentlemen. Um, okay. Let's, let's dig into the fall a little bit because we had uh, a new crop of a lot of gauchos, as we mentioned on the first analytics podcast that we did at the beginning of the fall when we were introducing Sean. And so now that we've got a fall under our belt, 
myself and the listeners are interested in who made some strides with, uh, with some of the data stuff. And so should we start with pitching? So pitching is dominated here two to one because Sean and Maxine do the pitching and, and Spencer is going solo on the hitting stuff. So let's start with, uh, let's start with pitching since there's some big shoes to fill in the form of, well, the vacancies of uh, Michael McGreevy and Rodney Boone, uh, among some other talented Gaucho pitchers who helped the Gauchos to a regional berth last season. So who were some pitchers that, that made some strides from the beginning, maybe from last year to this year, or uh, from the beginning of the fall to the end of the fall? Uh, Sean, you got anybody in mind? Yeah, I mean, as far as the starters go, I think we saw a handful of guys. Um, you know, Mike Gutierrez comes to mind, Corey Lewis, Ryan Harvey, uh, Cooper Rons comes to mind as well. Um, you know, I, I wasn't here obviously last year, um, but as you mentioned, big shoes to fill, of course, uh, from those guys. But um, I think we saw a pretty good sample size from those, those guys in particular as a starter role this fall. Um, not sure if we really know where things are going to shake up come opening day yet. Um, we still got some stuff to figure out when the guys come back. But um, I think those those guys, you know, like I said, as far as the starter role is concerned, I mean, they made some made some improvements. And I think um, if not all those guys, definitely one or two of them are definitely going to step up and, uh, you know, take the reins on that. Yeah, one of the main differences between this time of year last year and this year was we were pretty sure who was going to pitch on Friday, who was going to pitch on Saturday and who was going to pitch on Sunday. Like the Gauchos were in that position to know who they were going to throw on the weekend. And so now with, with the, the draft picks and the graduations, there's competition and opening. So this is the, one of the hardest things for you guys and for the coaching staff to analyze is like, all right, who's going to put together a good enough resume data wise and competing wise while they're out there on the field to earn themselves a spot in the weekend rotation. And I, I certainly think, well, Corey, he did it last year. I mean, he had that great performance in the regional, of course, against Oklahoma state. And he was a solid option every single weekend. And he sometimes had the challenging task of pitching the second leg of the doubleheader and, and pitching on Sundays was always challenging. And so you'd think you'd pencil in him to pitch on the weekends. And then I was really impressed by Mikey Gutierrez. He was a, he's a, a JC transfer coming in lefty. He's wearing number 10. So it's like, Oh, we're going to have another number 10 starting shout out Rodney Boone. And so, but he's, he's carried himself really well and, and he's performed really well in the, in the two scrimmages. I think in the two innings he threw against Pepperdine, he had five strikeouts and so uh, Mikey is a name that pops out. Uh, what about you, Maxine? Anybody aside from the four guys that, that Sean mentioned who've been good as far as the data shows? Yeah, I mean, I think Sean and I always talk about Matt Ager too, freshman. Um, could be interesting looking, um, but I think everybody else Sean mentioned pretty much aligns with what I think as well. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to see who's going to start and who's going to close for us and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out. Everybody likes Velos as well, who are some of our top velocity guys. 
Oh, I mean, Harvey's right up there. He's uh, he's running up to 95 plus this fall. Um, Elliot Gallegos, um, he's another guy that's coming back in the spring. Um, I mean, he's 92 plus. Um, I mean, even Matt, Matt Ager as a freshman, you know, he's 90, 92. I mean, which is impressive for a young arm. Um, Clayton Hall, another uh, firearm coming out of the bullpen, possibly. I mean, again, there's just so many possibilities that we have with these guys. And um, I mean, Brady Huddleston, another <clears throat> another bullpen guy slash maybe long relief um, because he's had outings in the fall where he's gone two to three innings um, and he can get through a lineup maybe once or twice for us. Um, so that's also a good one. Um, Nicholas Welch, he's coming back. So, I mean, he's shown his last few outings in the fall there. He was 92, 93. Um, so, I mean, again, it, it's just can't wait for the guys to get back and we can kind of really see where the dust settles and, and really see who fits in what, you know, role. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if it's rotating the first month of season where it's like, Hey, we're just trying things out. And um, maybe there's not really a set role for everybody right away, but guys are contributing on all levels. So it's going to be a lot. It's going to be pretty interesting to see. What about spin rates? Are there any outstanding spin rates? Uh, I know off the top of my head, Brady, Brady Huddleston is a high spin guy. Um, Mike Gutierrez has run it up there a little bit. Um, you know, there are a number of guys that just aren't crazy spin guys. They're pretty average for the most part, but we do have, you know, probably two to four guys that are above average, I would say. Um, but yeah, not, not a crazy spin group, but, um, a lot of good stuff from these guys as far as execution goes and um, knowing how to use their pitches when they want to use them. And um, I think they use them to their advantage. And I think that showed in the fall as well. Do you guys track like who has a good slider or a good curve or a good changeup? I'm just, I'm thinking off of the, the top of my head a little bit right here. Like, I remember Nick Welch, he had a lot of success because of his changeup last year. And it, by the looks of things, it looks like Mikey has a good breaking ball. So could you guys tell us who has like the best changeup on the team or who has the best slider, the best, best curve, best, best split change, best gyro ball? Like who's got like gyro spin rate and all that stuff? Like changeup I mean, Maxine – you know, she can throw a name out there, but for me, changeup wise, and if some of the guys get upset, I apologize, but Carter <laughs> Benbrook has an elite changeup and especially coming from the left side. Um, and he's a guy like he's, he's working his way back. He hasn't even been officially out there uh, competing with a guy in the box yet. So um, if it's this good in the bullpen, I can't wait to see it on track man and see him with a guy in the box and, and really get after it that way. Maxine, anything comes to mind? Um, I think with the changeup, I agree. But when you said splitter, I thought of Hattie. I think that's a cool pitch. I'm excited to see play. Um, yeah, so, Hayden yeah. Hayden Hattenback, and he's Hayden's what six seven, and he throws from a Randy Johnson arm slot from the left side. Like he was awfully impressive this fall, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah, I definitely am excited to see that in games and see how he develops. Even more so. What is what do the numbers look like on a splitter? 
when when they pop up on the rep soto like are they that much different than than other pitches extremely low spin yep but not a nu- but not a knuckleball it's not a knuckleball though no we always talk about how the knuckleball like rap or track fan can't pick up the spin so it's like astronomically high um but the splitter it does pick up the spin it's around like 500 like just three digits rather than four can someone explain to me why Trackman does not pick up knuckleball spin because and we, we were talking about knuckleball here because the gouges do have a knuckleball thrower uh cory lewis and it's it's really fun when he throws it but i'd be sitting next to spencer last year and a pitch would come in and it'd be like 4200 spin rate <laughs> and i'd be like whoa look at that <laughs> super spinny curveball and and she's like no it's the knuckle kev that was a knuckle. Sorry. <laughs> well, Corey, Corey was so much fun to watch because I was directly behind him charting the games on TrackMan, and he has he's got a plus fastball that he's gotten up to ninety two, and then he's got four off speed pitches that he can control in the zone. Uh, the curveball drops off the table. Um, the slider induces a ton of whiffs, and then his changeup, which he worked really hard to develop last year, was a plus p- pitch against lefties, and then he throw the knuckleball. And sometimes all four of those off-speed pitches could have the same movement profile with just some late break to it. And it plays so well off of his fastball, but it was almost like it was a guessing game for you because you were a little off center and you didn't see the numbers right away. So, you know, I, I was able to pick it up because I've, I've seen him so many times and he works quick, so I got to stay on top of it. But at Corey was – the knuckleball and the reason why it, it throws so much – like so much spin up there. I still don't comprehend it, but I think Maxine kind of described it best. It thinks because it's not able to pick it up that it's spinning so much faster than like it, any pitch normally should. So sometimes it'll spit out 36, 3,700 RPM, which is, I don't think a a pitcher could really spin a ball like that. If they were throwing a hard curveball, hard sliver, that's way off the charts what's the highest spin rate that we've seen? Like something that's super high that you don't see very often. Is it like 2,800? Yeah, we've, we've had guys, I mean, Spencer, you can add it from last year, but this year I've seen a few sliders slash slurbs curveball in the 27, 29 range, 2,900. So, but the 3000 is like a, do big leaguers 3000? Connor Roberts, he really? used to, uh, there'd be some times where he'd, he'd really grip it and rip it. And, um, when he, when he had the pressure and the, the pronation down, he would hit, he'd hit over 3000. Um, he, in a game, he would probably sit about 27, 2800 with the slider. But I remember he was one of those 3000 plus guys that would sneak in there every once in a while. You call that elite spin rate elite. <laughs> There's never enough spin when it comes to off-speed pitches. <laughs> why? Why do you say that? I mean, I think if you have a curveball, say for example, a guy has say it's a right-handed pitcher and he has, let's say, negative twenty break, which is really good, right? Um, not a lot of horizontal movement, spinning around six o'clock spin direction, so it's pretty much a true twelve-six curveball but say his spin is maybe 1900 
that's not going to look the same to a hitter in the box unless it's and like if you look at a same pitch spinning let's say 2800 to 3000 it gives the hitter the illusion of that ball is coming in a lot harder and it's moving a lot faster in a downward trajectory than it would be spinning only at 1900 so the the higher the spin rate i mean it's obviously going to break more mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's hard to perceive whether it was thrown hard or it was spun well. Like it's different, difficult for a hitter to differentiate between the two. Absolutely. I mean, and I'm not a hitter. I, I can't yeah. tell you, but I mean, I'm not getting in the box against that. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no thanks. Um, I have a question for Maxine. Can you, can you clearly and precisely explain to me the difference between perceived cut and actual cut on a pitch? Um, I feel like I'm taking a test. Um, finals are over. Um, I guess I would, I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing actual is like the actual like (laughs) inches or feet or whatever. Um, and then perceived is what it looks like to the hitter. I don't know the answer (laughs) because I always got it wrong and, and Spencer would always talk smack because I couldn't figure it out or I would say it was a cutter but it wasn't because it just had perceived cut it didn't have actual cut or I mean it, I just want based off direction. of the definition of the word what is it Spencer <laughs> help us out Spence I mean we it got brought up a lot of times with with Chris Troy last year because he was a high overhand slot guy threw the ball really hard spun it really high so it had a lot of movement to it but Basically, the perceived cut is when it's it's getting close to zero degree or, or zero inches of horizontal break. Actual cut is when it's on the negative side. So for a lefty, that's one that's breaking positively from left to right. For a righty, it's when it's breaking positively from his perspective right to left. So that would be the negative inches. So that's where that's where the actual cut comes from. But uh, I could see like Maxine staring into space trying to like conceptualize it well that's yeah because that's how that's how we that's how we perceive it with the movement plots that we get that we generate um for post-game reports that's how we kind of we can see the way that a pitch is moving based off of an and you know an xy scatter plot essentially um and that's kind of how we map out how pitchers are able to move the ball and what their arsenals look like and when that understanding becomes universal we can see where things are good, where some things are bad in terms of, you know, how much movement they're getting, what kind of efficiency they're able to throw with the pitch, what direction the ball is running and um, how we can make a certain pitch better. Okay. Can we touch on at the X, Y plots and before we get to hitting, and this will be the the last bit of, of pitching stuff, because before you explain to me the X, Y plot, Spencer, I didn't understand why I would see negatives on the on the trackman data when it when it flashed the information after each pitch. I didn't understand why there would be negative like in certain things. So can you explain or maybe Sean can explain the XY plot? Because, I would just say I I'm gonna let because Max because you cut it. So this is like you cut the strike zone into a graph, right? 
No, you, right you don't. Down. Is it the strike zone or where do you where do you put the uh, the X Y plot? Answer, so the X Y plot is just the movement numbers. I'm gonna let Maxine and Sean kind of take the reins on it because okay, do it. That's their thing now. But I'm just surprised I didn't show that to you sooner because I think it just it made everything. It, it cleared the fog. For I'm, I'm I'm a visual learner, Spencer. I need to see things. Yes. Okay. Pitching pitching staff, take it away. X Y so, plot. I mean, essentially, I mean, what we're looking at is uh, positive and negative break. So um, fastball-wise, we're looking for everything to be uh, positive, right? So we're going Y the whole time. We're not going to the side. So essentially, you want to think like your off-speed pitches are moving side to side. Your fastball and your curveball, breaking ball, whatever that may be, is going north and south, right? So that's how we're able to – and then obviously for a lefty and a righty, you just switch it. So for a righty – we're going to be going positive lefty. We're going negative. I know I made it sound very simple and it's not, but, um, well, for those, for those of you who took math and have seen a graph, not, a, not a graph that just has an L shape. It's a, it's a plus shape, right? Mm -hmm. So when you go, if it goes in the negative direction on your, on your piece of paper, it's going to the left side to the left side of the vertical line and then to the right side, it's on the right side of the vertical line. So when you said earlier, a, a pitcher's curveball has 20 inches of negative, negative break. vertical break. So where does that show up on that, on that plus graph plot on that X, Y plot on the bottom. Yep. Okay. So say we're at zero and let's say the top is plus 20 and the bottom is negative 20. Ideally, if a pitcher has a fastball and a curveball, his fastball is at plus 20 and his curveball is at negative 20. So he is then covering 40 inches of the strike zone with just two pitches. Then we can add in a changeup to then go 20 inches to the right. And if he's a lefty, 20 inches to the left. So then we can cover even more ground with two to three pitches. And remind the listeners how wide the home plate is, 17 inches? Yeah. All right. Yep. And then roughly bottom of the strike zone to top of the strike zone. How tall is it? I mean, it's never tall enough, Kev. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken by a former pitcher. Absolutely. Never tall enough. <laughs> Maxine, do you have anything to add to that? To uh, discussed. Yeah, I mean, I think I, what's confusing about it is like location versus movement. So like break is, you know, the movement in comparison to a ball without gravity or a straight line. So, which is different than, you know, like just the location in the strike zone. So I can see how that's confusing. It definitely was probably confusing to me a year ago. <laughs> but now it makes all, now it makes total sense. And hopefully to the listeners, if they get into this or if they're down a rabbit hole tangent thinking about baseball analytics and, and whoa, whoa. Whoa. Hopefully this clarifies some of that stuff for them. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't clarify it, just DM us on Twitter at SB Baseball Data and we can try to explain it as best you can. A little shameless plug for you there, Kev. It's not shameless. I mean this this podcast is being presented by SB Baseball Data. So that's at SB Baseball Data on Twitter, right? On Twitter. 
what kind of what kind of stuff do you have for for the followers right now that's up on the Twitter account? Well, it's always fun to uh, to kind of check in on the page and just see what um, what what some of our interns are working on. Um, you know, there's Maxine, there's Sean, myself. Uh, and then there's seven really, really hardworking student interns who are Shout them out. their knowledge um, with with regards to, to baseball analytics. And and they're working on some of their own research projects that you know we could touch on here in a bit. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a good chance for them to be able to kind of showcase uh, showcase their skills and their projects that they've been working on because they're working hard behind the scenes hours each week. Um and, uh, you know, the, the work that they're doing, it never, you know, it, it never falls on deaf ears. It's, it's a chance for, for all of the coaching staff, for the players to learn from, from the work that they're doing. And when you're here at a research-based university, it, it kind of, uh, you know, we, we take that stuff very seriously. So those, the, the student interns that we have, I mean, they're, they're so awesome. They're so much fun to work with. And I mean, they blow my mind every week and I'm sure Maxine and, and Sean are, you know, we leave those meetings with them with smiles on our faces because they're they, they're just so much fun to work with. So hats off to those guys. What are their names? Give them give them some love right here on the platform. I have Philip, Kankshot, Brian, Kayla, Julian, Ryan, Tyler. Is that all seven? Yeah, it. there Nailed they it. are. So um, hopefully they're listening in. We we encourage them to listen to the podcast because. Um, you know, they're, they really are a part of the Gaucho family. Um, you know, Kev, you, you do an awesome job bringing on a bunch of, uh, a bunch of really awesome alumni and, and having some players, the coaches on, and, um, you know, really those guys are the backbone of the analytics staff. Um, you know, Sean, Maxine, and I don't get to go out to the field every day without the hard work that they're doing as well. So, um, we, we really lo- owe a lot of the work that we get to do every day to them. So, we do appreciate them so much. And I think Twitter is a good chance for them to, to kind of showcase what they got. Okay. Check out UCSB analytics on Twitter at SB baseball data. Okay. Now we can get into what we, what everyone came to listen to the hitting stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really why everybody's here to listen to how many bombs the gauchos hit this, this fall and all the exit velos and, and whether it was a, a fly ball or a line drive in the book. Like these are things that are important. So important to you, Kevin. <laughs> um, hey Spencer, was it an F or an L? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to more chatter on the radio with you, Kevin, but uh, now this year offensively, it was a lot of fun to see kind of the, the success that guys were having. Cause um, every single day we're, we're challenging them. You know, it's never, I would never say it's it's an it's a breeze of a day. Um, whether we've got, I mean, this year, you saw it live in action, Kevin. At one point, we had a three pitch mix going with three different machines running at once. You know, we had a rising fastball, a late breaking slider, and a fading changeup. And we have these guys. You know, we're we're pushing them each day. Um, and and shout out to the uh, shout out to the managers, Isaac, Oliver. Lucas and Justin who would they would coordinate so there'd be one guy at each machine or one guy with two machines one guy with one machine and they would both hold their hand up and they would coordinate which which pitch is being thrown each time so you know 
they did a good job with that when we whenever we did the the three machine mix. So yeah, had had to shout out the managers there. I mean, yeah, that that stuff was awesome. It was really impressive, and um, I think our hitters really responded well to it because it's challenging, and um, you know, we're 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 pushing them. We're trying to we're trying to get them to the best that they could possibly be with that. So um, that was a lot of fun to see, and and when we took it into the games, it was it was awesome. I think one of the things that we were working on a lot of um, was certainly discipline, um, getting guys to make sure that you know they're swinging at the pitches that they want to swing because. You know, each at bat, there's you. You know, you got to see three strikes before you're out. So, you're you're getting three good chances to hit. Um, you should be at least, and I think that was something we really focused on. And so, when we're looking at kind of the whiff percentages, the chase percentages, a couple guys that stand out to me that you know really worked hard on it. Um, Christian Curtley this year chasing only 14.7 times out of the zone. So essentially, 14.7 of pitching yeah, so essentially 85 percent of the time he's swinging it's a strike um and he only right. ever swung at pitches outside of the zone 14 percent. so um that, that's pretty good stuff same with uh jason willow he's a guy who who's really you know working on that and um sometimes you know guys guys end up getting themselves out by chasing so um when you got guys like Curtly, guys like willow um guys like kj vote brock bryce those are kind of the the names who kind of stick out in terms of the guys who, who chased the least um, and really stuck to their approach. Um, when you're looking at the, you're looking at the whiff percent, you got guys like, you know, Nick vote who he really swings the bat hard. Um, he was our exit velo leaderboard winner this year uh, or this fall, I should say um, with a healthy 108.5. I think that was a, I think it was a triple that he put into right center field. Um, he put a couple into the trees and center as well. But uh, I mean, his swing and miss percent was was pretty low as well, just 17 percent there for him. Um, and then some of those guys who were even lower than him, like I said, Curtly and Willow, um, with uh, 15 and 12 percent respectively. Well, and um, thinking about last year, and then the rule, the core of the lineup offensively, I think you you start with Marcos Castanon yeah. because he had reached a level where. He wasn't swinging at balls. If he was, it was coming from an elite delivery. And he was just a completely new hitter compared to earlier in his career where he had a lot of big swing and miss. He was sometimes undisciplined, still had the power threat and, and was effective. But when he became more disciplined at the plate, it really all came together and became a real weapon at the dish. And I think you could say the same thing with Jason and Christian where early in their career, maybe some free swingers a little bit, they they get beat by bad pitches sometimes. And then we start to see it last year where they got a little more discipline. They're able to hunt strikes and, and find things in the zone and have success. And now that we're seeing them with their, with these numbers to, to bolster that this fall, I mean, who knows what they can do. Like it would be great to have two Marcos Castanons in the lineup in the form of a Christian Curley and a Jason Willow, who are our veterans on this team. And so plate discipline is, is a, a thing I think it get, gets overlooked sometimes, especially in, in the modern day when we're thinking about home runs and strikeouts. It's either you swing and miss or you hit it over the fence. And so plate discipline, discipline uh, is a big factor. So that's, that's yeah. great to hear. Well, and I think it starts from the top. I, I mean, Coach Ferg, he, he – 
preaches it every single day. That guy's an absolute wizard when it comes down to his understanding of the swing and, and kind of the approach at the plate. And um, he basically says like, you know, Hey, we're all really good hitters. You guys are all really, really good hitters. And I know that because you guys work your butts off every single day to improve your swing. And you're taking what we're, you know, what, what, what coach Erdman, what coach Ferger recommending and, and sticking to it. And um, so at the end of the day, it's like, you're good hitters and the pitchers who you're facing know that you're good hitters. So they don't want to throw you strikes. They want to get you out by ways that, you know, make you the guy who's getting yourself out. Um, and so that, uh, that collective understanding is, is a lot of fun because it's true. These guys are some really good hitters. Um, you know, just to throw out a couple more stats for you, Nick vote this, this fall slugged the healthy seven eleven. Um, he was one of the top there, only behind Aaron Parker, freshman, uh, slugging 739 and batting a healthy 348 this fall. Um, KJ was our was our average leader. A nice 433 for him this fall. Um, that was a lot of fun to see him, you know, producing out there. He hit 476 against fastballs. Um, and then even with uh you know, the changeups that he was getting, the, the off speed that he was getting, he was still able to bat just about, um, you know, 333 against those. So he was really hitting everything, and there weren't a lot of things that could get him out, which was a lot of fun. Um, Blake Klassen, new name for us this this fall. He batted 357. Um, also a big exit velo guy, 108.3 for him. Absolutely crushing the ball. Um, Brock Mortensen against fastballs. 56.25% hard hit percent. Um, he also slugged a pretty healthy 556 against those fastballs. So uh, he's hitting the ball well, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking at, you know, if he's sticking to his approach and um, he's kind of another one of those guys who um, you want to make sure sticks to that approach so that, you know, a good hitter like him can, can put himself in a position, position to succeed. And I think uh, all fall guys were doing a real good job of that. And we did have a home run derby the last week of practice. And who won it? Nick Vote. I think he ran away with it. Yeah, it wasn't even close. <laughs> Nick Vote. He uh for a guy like that with you know, he puts his body into a real good position at the start of his swing, basically getting stacked and stretched real well. And so by the time he's ready to fire, it is uh he just he swings bat so hard. Um, so he's got some elite bat speed and, and he can really, uh, really get his body moving in the right way, sequencing wise. Um, so he's one of the, another guy to watch out for. Cause you know, in the last two years, we know he's got a great bat, um, but he's been playing behind some, some incredible, you know, really talented outfielders. And I think he's got a chance to shine this, this fall. So um, he's a guy that uh, I'm going to keep an eye on throughout this year for sure. Yeah. Nick coming off of a, First team all West Coast League summer playing for the champion Corvallis Knights. So he's uh he's got some ABs under his belt and he's ready to blossom. Uh any other hitting things to I think we covered a lot of the hitting stuff. Um but as far as pieces go and familiar names for listeners, like a lot of those uh familiar names are gonna be back in the lineup, like guys like we said, uh just now, like the Brock Mortensons, the Jason Willows, the Christian Curleys, Zach Rodriguez, Jordan Sprinkle, the uh, 
Kyle Johnson, Bryce Willits, like all these guys are back. So lineup will have have lots of lots of different looks, probably uh, lots of options to try and try and find out which one works best against righties and against lefties. And so we kind of flipped the script this year, where last year the staff it was all right. Michael's going to pitch. Michael McGreevy is going to pitch Friday. Then we got Rod Boone and Corey Lewis on the weekend, and that's just kind of how it was. And now on the hitting side this year, we got a lot of names coming back. So Gauchos are going to hit the ball hard this year. Okay, last last part of the podcast here for today. Can we try and uncover the best moment or the funniest moment, like in a bullpen, that happened this fall? Any stories? Anything like the best moment could be like someone figured out a, a breaking ball and they were super pumped about it. Or if there was a funny moment, like someone threw a pitch off the dummy's head and it got stuck in the roof or something like that. Like I'm not in the bullpen, so I'm, I'm relying on, on Sean and Maxine here who saw pretty sure the majority of them, but anything stand out? Yeah, uh, I don't know if you know, we're all business in the bullpen. We don't have time for all that fun stuff. No shenanigans? We don't have time for that. We're, we're getting to work from start to finish. Um, funny moments. Um, I know there were some flinches from me and Maxine when certain catchers were behind the dish and are throwing the ball back and they can't be trusted. Uh, may or may not have been hit or some of our equipment may have been hit. Um, any, any casualties? Save the equipment at all costs, Sean. Yeah. No casualties, but it's good. I can definitely admit there was times where if I was looking out of the corner of my eye, I would flinch and there's nothing happening. And then Maxine just bust out laughing at me. And next thing you know, like maybe five pitches later, there's actually a ball that almost smokes, you know, coach Jones or coach check And um, I think that was about as funny as it got. I mean, other than that, I mean, yeah, our guys hit the dummies every now and again, but that's why they're there. So you're telling me that they're there to get hit? The dummies? I mean, they're dummy. They're not actual hitters, right? So we, we can make mistakes and hit them. It's all good. Okay. And I, that's not the first time I've heard that response, that it's all business in the bullpen. I think I, I might have joked about that last time, where I don't feel like I can joke around and have fun in the bullpen because they're so serious down there. We are. Whereas, whereas when we're out doing home run derby on the field and, and Coach Ferg is – scaling the bubble to get an overhead view of the that was my, that was my moment kev you never asked so that was that your moment that was my you, moment he's always looking for view. Innovator. he's looking for new new angles new ways to get some video and so when he's on top of the bubble asking me for an ipad i'm gonna hand it to him and uh i think you got a couple real good shots of him laying prone on top of the cage literally right on over the top of home plate yeah, it was it was pretty great, pretty great. Uh, what was the best playlist that we heard this fall? Best playlist, Maxine? No. Or we you... always play the game of Maxine. What artist is this? Maxine, what <laughs> underground indie band is this? I don't know, <laughs> so I can't say. <laughs> uh, I, think... Kev, I just want to say you're you're a really good DJ. There's a lot of variety. I don't care what anybody else says. Uh, but I will say the boys were fired up when we put on that uh, EDM playlist. 
uh, during one of the scrimmages. So just keep it in mind for the spring. The boys, a.k.a. Sean Isaac. Super hey, there was a lot of energy. It was an electric factory that day, and I don't know what it was, but, you know. I, I can't take all the credit for the music selections because Stu also has the password and, and will make selections. And, and sometimes Ferg takes control as well. So it's, it's, it's a group effort. Absolutely. It's a group effort. But Maxine, Tom Petty is not an indie band. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning music and baseball jargon. We're getting there. We're getting there. You'll be a pro by, by the end of May. Yeah, she's going to have some, some real good chatter under her belt. It'll be good. Stu, what was your favorite song for the fall? Something that, like, on the top of your Spotify thing, because you just couldn't stop listening to it while you were at the yard. I mean, I, that Hip Abduction album that came out, the War on Drugs, their new album. When you were putting that over, uh, when you're putting that over the stadium speakers, it 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 hits different. So, um, like Sean said, I'm going to reiterate that the uh, I thought the playlists were great, and um, you know, I Ferg. All he's got to do is put Tom Petty radio on and I'm happy. So that's it. You cannot, cannot go wrong with Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. And maybe some CCR mix in there as well. So no, it was, it was a good fall. It was, it was fun working with everybody here on this podcast. Um, I've somehow managed to not have to set anything up, which is great. So thank you. As far as setting up analytics equipment, I might've had to move Spencer's table once or twice, but that's okay. It's just a table. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll, we're, we're coming back in, in January. The season starts in February and the Gauchos will be rocking and rolling. And we will finish this podcast with a movie minute since it's the holidays. So favorite Christmas movie. And we'll do Sean last since he's the movie aficionado. Uh, Stu go first. It's uh, it's Will Ferrell's Elf, and it's not even close. All time. Favorite favorite part of the movie, is it when he's jumping across the street, or is it, yeah. is it the escalator where he's doing the splits on the escalator? I mean, just there's too many. You cannot go wrong. I think uh, one of my favorites is when he's talking about the food groups and he dumps a bunch of syrup and just proceeds to actually eat it. So <laughs> hilarious. I, mean, I, I half expected it to be the making all the snowballs and then throwing the snowballs because you know it's like a you know pitcher you know with good tempo. I'm a, I'm a hitting guy now, Kevin. Right? So. Yeah, but you saw Elf when you were a pitching guy. So, <laughs> okay, Maxine. Mm, I always watch Love Actually with my mom, which is a cheesy response, but yeah, Elf is good. Also, obviously. I have not seen Love Actually. Wow. Is that bad? It's cheesy. Yeah, it's like a bunch of romance stories, and then they all come together at the end, that type of thing. So you watch that with your mom every Christmas? Mm-hmm. It's a good tradition. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm so. All, I'm all about tradition, so that's good. That plays. That plays on this pod. Thanks. Sean? Uh, I'm going to bring out a sleeper. It's not my favorite, but I think a lot of people overlook it. Uh, Vince Vaughn, Four Christmases. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a great time of the year to watch it. Uh, 
Vince Vaughn. If you don't like Vince Vaughn, I can't really help you. He's great in pretty much everything. Uh, favorite though, you know, all time one that I, you just have to watch, I guess. Can't go wrong with Christmas Vacation. Uh, you know, Spence mentioned Elf, which is, it's good. It's getting better with time. Um, Age well. Yeah, it, it is. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Christmas Vacation. Okay. I'm going to go with Home Alone. Lost in New York City. Yeah. So Home Alone 2, the second one. Yeah. Wet Bandits are back. The the Wet Bandits, the ending sequence in the the New York City apartment that's under construction. Oh, it's great. It's it's very great. Yeah. And the in the moment at the end under the Christmas tree when the mom makes it back to New York City. Just yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Okay, that was that was your movie minute brought to you by SB Baseball Data. Check them out on Twitter. Okay. I hope everyone has a very enjoyable holiday. Uh, you can check back in with the Gouch 9 podcast in the spring or late winter, I guess, January, February. But it's it's getting to be that time where you can start thinking about college baseball again. So Spencer, Sean, Maxine, excellent work. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Kev. Happy holidays. All right. Thank you to Kyle's Kitchen and thank you to UCSB Baseball Analytics. Thank you, Spencer, Sean, and Maxine for all of your hard work and your uh, great podcasting abilities as well. They are uh, people of many talents. So we hit Christmas break. We'll have the new year and we'll come back in January. We are finalizing the schedule and we will release that soon for everyone who is concerned on when they will be making their trips to Santa Barbara or when they will be close to you if the Gouchers are on the road. So keep an eye out for the schedule release, which will be happening most likely this week. Um, and we've got some uh, some good teams on the slate coming to Santa Barbara and we'll be uh, out on the road in some good spots as well. So an exciting 2022 season is just around the corner and uh, we can't wait to, to get started. But uh, the Gouchers will have a well-deserved break for the holidays as will i and uh, i hope you have an uh, excellent time with your your family hope you have some safe travels uh and good times so uh, be merry and we'll talk to you in the new year